You're tuning into the podcast series, We Talk Cyber with Monica, your platform for engaging discussions and expert opinions on all things cyber. For more information, check out monicatalkcyber.com and let's hop right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever from the world you're tuning in today. Welcome to yet another fantastic episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. I'm your host, Monica Verma. I'm here with yet another amazing guest who is none other than Chris Roberts. He needs absolutely no introduction. Hi, Chris. Welcome to today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. Thank you. Thanks, Monica. Thanks for having me. Kind of fun to be here. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice just to hang out, get a chance to relax for a little bit and just just talk on stuff. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast episode today. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And uh, let's just jump right into it. So today I wanted to talk to you a bit about the futurism and how the landscape and the society is changing. Do you believe that we are already in the era of cyborgs? And what are cyborgs? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting when you look at it, because I mean, there's some of the research I'm doing. In fact, actually, the one of the machines is behind me is uh, is doing a ton of research and a ton of work on like pulling data signals out of the brain. So the EEG research I'm doing, and I mean, there's other institutes that are doing the same thing. So, and then you take a look at how we're learning, uh, especially within some of the military and the government side of the world, how we're actually trying to because of the knowledge we have in the brain and because of what mm. we're using from technology, how we're actually educating people or trying to educate them more effectively. But, I mean, if you take a look at uh, the digital side of the world that we have um, and you take a, you know, you take away from the human and you purely look at the, the digital side, you look at actual artificial intelligence, very specific AI situations. Um, and, I mean, we've got some really interesting things moving in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good, I mean, unfortunately, the whole like robotics, machine learning, AI has been beaten up pretty badly by our industry, the security industry, especially because, you know, everybody's claiming they have the best. Um, nobody's actually really put some good metrics around what an augmented intelligence is. It's one of the things I'm hanging out. There's some good folks over at uh, Calypso AI that I'm hanging out with. And we're actually putting a yardstick and trying to put some decent measures and metrics around it because when you look at you look at robotics, you look at you look at where the future is for a humanity standpoint, we have a couple of different parts. We're either going to augment ourselves, mm-hmm. which gets into a really interesting piece. You know, we're doing some of that at the moment from a healthcare standpoint, but you look at it from a military installation standpoint, how do I augment the person that has to be in the field or can I take them out completely and, you know, go the Boston Dynamics route and throw fully autonomous systems in there? And if I can, what are they allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? Where are the ethics lines and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. And then you look at the stuff I'm messing around with, which is this stuff, which is at some point in time, I want to look at this physical body and go, I don't need it anymore. Right. I want to be at a point. Yeah. And that's, that's where it gets really interesting because it's, then you get into the humanity of it. It's like, okay, what makes us the human? Is it purely digital signals or signals that I can convert into something a machine can read? <clears throat> or is there more to the human? And so that gets some really, really interesting, very philosophical conversations. Right. And let's let's talk about those a bit. So what I hear from you is that, yes, 
you can say the cyborg era has somehow started. We are looking into oh. the AI and advancement of it into the augmentation to human body. So what can you define can you define in just very layman terms what is cyborg? What is a cyborg? And it's tough because I mean there's there are different entities, there are different ways of looking at it. I mean you've mm-hmm. got you've got a cyborg as a human replacement. So I mean if you take it as a let's go back to um, some of the let's go back to Hollywood or Bollywood to pick, pick whichever one you want to. And that industry that says all of those menial jobs that we don't want the humans to do, let's give those to the machines. Now you take a step further forward and go, you look at the advanced uh, automation that's being put into vehicles. So mm-hmm. do you have a cyborg element in a vehicle? It's, it's something that's doing work for you. It's something that's transporting you from A to B. It has a level of intelligence of its own to make certain amounts of decisions. Mm-hmm. And depending upon where you go to on that autonomous vehicle scale, you know, like one through five, will depend upon the cyborg stuff there. But for me, it's, it's either a human augmentation or a human replacement for various different things. Right. So let's take an example here, okay? So we today, let's, let's weigh in two things. On one hand, we have, we are, everybody today in the world is using smartphones, right? Yeah. On these smartphones, we have all our data, uh, almost entirely our lives, banking apps, healthcare apps, all kind of information that is crucial to our lives is, on, uh, is somehow being stored, processed, managed, monitored through the smartphones, right? To different corporations, to different apps, third parties, and so on. On the other hand, we are talking about the bionics. We're talking about augmentation. We're talking about devices, implants, uh, pacemakers, and so on, integrated into our body, which also have some kind of data about our lives. What 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 is the difference between these two examples in terms of risk towards security and privacy? Oh, yeah. so, I mean, the perfect example, I mean, I, I did a LinkedIn post the other day where I had this in one hand. Well, I'll, I'll get it right here. I had that in one hand and I had that in the other hand. Okay. And when you think about it, I mean, everybody thinks of this as a weapon. Everybody goes, this is a weapon. This can harm people. But what they don't think of is this, this being a weapon, you know, the phone being a weapon, and how much damage an individual or a group or people can do with one of these. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, this on its own has people's lives on it. You can ruin somebody's life just through one of these devices. You can enhance somebody's life through one of these devices. And if you take a look at Cyborg as, as something that takes beyond normal human limitations, arguably this pushes us beyond our normal human limitations. Mm-hmm. The ability to communicate anywhere in the world, the ability to you know virtually visit anywhere in the world, but with that comes responsibilities. You know, it's like how do I guard myself as I put myself into this, and can I guard myself, or do I have to rely on the vendors, the suppliers, the third parties, and everybody else to do it? And we all know how that's ending out, unfortunately. Now you flip it around and you go back to the human thing. So, perfect example. Um, for anybody that's had an, either an accident or .mil.gov stuff that's had limb replacements. So now you start looking at the augmentation that's there and the ability to basically take a, an artificial limb, tie it into some, ner- not just nerve function, but tie it into the neural functions. So those senses and those movements become much more you know, natural as we look to like to look at it. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. or you take a look at the the brain implants that that are in place for um, anybody from the Alzheimer's side of things all the way through to anything that's uh, anything uh, epilepsy and various other areas where they're trying to calm a lot of that down. Amazing leaps forward in technology. But the flip side of that is, again, either one of these is in the way or embedded tech is in the way that then ends up basically introducing potential vulnerabilities. When you think about it, we are analog humans in a digital world. But when you extend that beyond and you start taking a look at the digital world, that's when you know I can reach out and literally touch anybody around the planet or even off planet potentially. So you look at the functional or the quantification of what's a cyborg and you go, okay, well, it's, we've always thought about it in the traditional analog sense. We've like, oh, it has to be another, has to be another machine that looks like us. Mm-hmm. No, you know, it can be the digital side of the world by far and away. And I think that's where we're starting to really realize that as the analog human, how do we go more into the digital world? Right. Uh, how do we move more into the digital world? And I think that's that's a big part of it for me. Is, right. You know, and especially with the stuff, the, the EEG stuff is is now, it isn't just looking at the digital world through a piece of glass. It is now, okay, how can I interact with that more effectively? How can that machine know what I'm thinking, when I'm thinking it, how can I anticipate it? and potentially move that from a reactive to a very proactive side of the world so it can start doing thinking for me. You know, that's when you start really looking at actual artificial intelligence. That's what I want to see is I want that machine to think for me and think past me and think further than I do. Right, right. Let's talk about the ethical implications here. Um, Do you believe we as humans, number one, have the right to decide for ourselves if we should or want to get one of these devices and two <laughs> if we do get these devices if we do decide we have the decision of power to do that let's say like we agree and we decide that do we have the right to really um, understand and approve how our data is stored managed processed deleted and so on uh, do we have the right? Yes. Do we have the knowledge to be able to ask those questions? No. Do most people care? No. I mean, we know that from society. We look at a perfect example. You look at society today. How many people are on Snapchat? How many people are on TikTok? How many people are on Facebook? And they're on it because it's convenient. It's a good communication channel. There's a lot of entertainment value. There's a lot of information sharing value, yada, yada, yada. And people, some people go into it knowing that they are being farmed. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. You are nothing more than an asset. And I will maximize the value of that asset. What can I sell you? What can I sell to you? What data of yours can I sell to somebody else's? That's really what it's all about. But people go into that. Some people go into that knowingly. Some people just don't care or don't know or don't want to know. And I think that's probably part of it as well. But again, so now we have we have separation at that point because, again, that's on this device. When you start looking at augmentation, so perfect example, if, if I brain capacity, you know, if I look mm-hmm. at what I have in here now, some of the stuff I'm building behind there isn't just to pull signals out. It's what signals can I push back in? 
So how could I enhance learning? How could I enhance various different things? What could I do with my physical body to elevate it through digital inputs, digital signals, manipulation memory? In other words, I'm giving myself an upgrade. That's great, but what are the consequences of that? What happens if that upgrade needs to be patched? What happens if I haven't paid my support maintenance for this year's patch maintenance? What happens if all of a sudden a researcher out in, let's say, Israel or Japan or China or India or the US or somewhere goes, hey, if I stand close to this person with an RFID, I can completely erase their memory. And all of a sudden you get a bunch of us, the hackers go, hey, that's really cool. And we start running around with freaking great big antennas, wiping everybody's memories as we run down the road. Not so cool, but it proves that we're capable of doing this. So then it's a case of like, okay, we get into the supply chain issues and the vendor issues that we currently have, but it's no longer a separation. It's no longer this device that I can put down. It's it's us. Right. And I think as an industry, we don't have that responsibility. We we don't think about it that way. You know, the problem with our industry is is we have issues and we've always thought about it being, oh, it's a computer. It's If the computer breaks, who cares? But we're at a point, back to the cyborg thing, whether we do human augmentation, digital augmentation, or we extend ourselves, that we have the ability to impact humans and their lives much more so now, like physically. And I think, you know, we, we obviously had that with the heart rate monitors um, and the pacemakers, you know, four, five, six years ago, we've had it with insulin pumps, we have it with various other things. But we haven't found a way to actually communicate that effectively to the population, let alone the people that are making devices. So right. yeah, I, there's there's a ton of risk, not just in the, the devices, but who has the data, who uses it, what they're going to do with it, how they monetize it. And we haven't solved those issues yet. I mean, we really haven't solved them. Right. And you say something about that our industry doesn't feel that we have the responsibility here. So who do you believe should be responsible for this? Who should own um, the accountability or not maybe the accountability, but more more often the responsibility of understanding, educating, and making sure that implications are understood in general and defending and protecting the humanity? I think I think we have to be we have to be in that conversation. Um I don't necessarily believe that we should be leading that conversation mm-hmm. because our industry tends to approach things at a very technical level. Um, but I think, you know, if you if you think about it around the table, around the table you would need us. You would also need the development teams. Back to that DevSecOps kind of mentality. You need the people who are doing the developments. And that's from the manufacturing standpoint to the software standpoint and all the other pieces in between. Mm-hmm. You need them at the table as well. And you need the business, you know, you need the people that are selling the stuff at the table. The challenge there is it becomes an ethical conversation. And and let's face it, most companies will err on the side of, hey, I want to make money, as opposed to, hey, I actually want to do something ethical. Um, somehow or other, you need those people. And I think also at the table, you need the psych- you need the psychologists, you need the humans, you need those people who understand humans. We don't have those at the table at the moment. More often than not, when we make decisions in our industry, we make them from a very technical viewpoint. We don't make them from a humanitarian viewpoint. We're not good at doing that. Um, and so I think we need more of that those conversations because 
you know, what are the risks of putting out a, a brain, you know, if I put a, a brain implant out that I think is, you know, works and it's great and it's all good, but it's got software and it's got code and it has flaws and it's sitting on GitHub and people like me, let's face it, I look at this stuff and I'm like, hey, what can we do with that? And all of a sudden you realize you can do some fairly nefarious things with it. And so at that point, it's an ethics conversation. It's a human conversation. And it is a technical piece in there as well. So I, I think we need more people in the conversations. Should we already be having that conversation now? Yes. Un understatement. I gave a lecture uh, in uh, Oslo last couple of weeks ago. And it was all talking about human augmentation. And, you know, to the point where you the, 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 this, the website advertises, oh, we've got millions of people have used these. And it's a pill. It's like a little tablet. A little tablet. It's about that big. It's a tablet that you swallow, mm -hmm. and it has uh, RFID in it, and it also has a camera. So it's actually watching your digestive tract you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. Okay. Then you can wear a patch, and that patch then talks to your phone. User ID admin, password admin, default on every single one of them. Right. I mean, I'm like, what are you thinking? So, I mean, we have that. We have, you know, we have a large manufacturer of of all of these types of technologies that just its user ID is GE and its password is GE across almost everything. And I'm like, telling me that it's not your responsibility because it's the people that install it or it's the people that use it, that doesn't work. That that cuts no more. That, that you cannot absolve yourself of responsibility. You know, you. This is humanity. We're dealing with killing people. So, step up and actually accept this. Put the lawyers in the back room and actually step forward and go, "Hey, yeah, you know what? We'll own some of this." So, yeah, we really need to be having these conversations um, yep. more of them. Um, Josh Corman and a lot of the folks over at I Am the Cavalry are doing, uh, to their credit, they're doing an amazing job at the legal level. So they're out in the U.S. and D.C. beating the heck out of the lawmakers to really start to look at the healthcare industry and what technology we're putting in. And I have a ton of respect for those guys because they do things I can't do, which is talk to lawyers and deal with people in Capitol Hill. They are very, very nice and they try to do it the right way. So yeah, there's we, we in the industry are trying to have those conversations. The industry needs to listen more. Right. So what is one of the biggest surprises that you've had in the cybersecurity industry? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Because, um, I mean, we see we see admin, admin. It doesn't surprise us anymore. I mean, oh, somehow no. we've gotten so used to it and we are like, okay, that's there. Is there anything that still surprises you or has surprised you recently in the cybersecurity industry? Uh, I think, you know, I think a lot of it comes, I think the human aspect still surprises me. Um, and I think frustrates me, probably surprise slash frustrates. You think about our industry. I mean, we've we've grown up with this industry for the last for how many years? I mean, for me, it's I've been messing with this stuff for 40 years, for crying out loud. Um, and when we did it and when we started it, we did it because it was a passion. It's what we loved. It's what we did. We do, we do this because we enjoy doing this. Mm -hmm. But I think what has frustrated and surprised me over the last probably five or 10 years or so, and I don't know how to combat it, is our own industry, quite honestly, has been taken over by the marketers. You know, we have, mm -hmm. we are no longer run as an industry to protect people 
or protect companies or protect industries. Our industry is run to make as much money and as much profit, and the marketing teams run the industry. You know, we come out with new acronyms every single darn day to confuse everybody into buying our stuff. We're really good at not admitting when we don't know everything. We have so many companies telling everybody that they can fix everything. And I think we've almost lost that honesty. You know, we had that. You look at the, you know, the early days of DEF CON and the early days of some of the other conferences and the B-sides. Mm-hmm. We actually stood up and we're like, hey, you know, we're ugly and we understand it. And, and this is what we are. And what's happened, it feels like over maybe the last 10 years or so, is we've become much more polished. And we haven't become polished to deal with business. We've become polished to sell more. And the marketing has just, I mean, it's gone ridiculous. I mean, you... The problem is now you don't know who to trust. And that's my frustration. I don't, when I go out there, if I want to go buy antivirus, well, am I buying antivirus? Am I buying endpoint? Am I buying EDR, EDN, ECMP, EMP? You're probably buying all in one, right? Exactly. And then am I buying it all in one from this company or this company or this company? And I mean, they're all telling me they can do everything. And, you know, my mentality from the hacker side is, you know, Clown Strike is useless. I can bypass it. Up on Black, I can buy a boss. Semantic McAfee and everything else is sitting there going, hey, he went that away. Um, and yes, it's good as part of a solution. You need to have it as part of a solution. We're like, oh, no, it's perfect. It's anti-hacker proof. Right, 100% security, right outside the box. <laughs> so what we understood today, what we've talked a bit about is that Yes, we should be having these discussions. We need the right people in the room. And there are still things that surprise us quite a lot in this industry, as you say, especially about the human aspect and the marketing aspect and people trying to just trying to sell things in the name of hacker proof or 100% security. So education is still very important. It's quite key here, right? We need Absolutely. to educate users because at the end of the day, if nobody is willing to take the responsibility and nobody's taking the accountability, which is even worse, then users need to be really educated on what they're getting this, themselves into. Whether it's using mobile phones as as mundane and normal it is in today's world, or it is uh, being selling your or letting the corporations just sell their data on different kind of platforms and apps or whatever or going tomorrow with bionic devices. I mean, there's an evolution in which your digital life changes, but nonetheless, the, the risks are there. And how do we educate the users? What would be your recommendations for people to understand this? And how do you think non-technical people can learn a bit about it? So good questions. I, I think... Uh, for me, it all falls down to one simple thing, which is ask one more question. And I think that's really all we can all we can do for managers, for businesses, for individuals, for people in or out of the industry, is ask one more question. It always what always came down to me. I always remember I had an amazing uh, CFO many many years ago, Italian gentleman. If I couldn't explain to him what I needed in a language he understood. With him asking three questions, there was no chance I was going to get it. And I think that's the thing is, is as individuals, as people who are there to make decisions, if you can't tell me why this is good or bad or what application or what I'm embedding in myself and you can't explain it to me, 
simply, easily, and readily in three questions, then I, you, we've got to we we have to take a step back and go, why not? You know, it's our problem, it's our issue, and it's also the mm-hmm. industry. So, to me, I would encourage anybody to just ask more questions. And I mean, let's face it, a lot of us are in the industry or, or on the internet. I mean, you're amazing; you're all over the place. You're a wealth of knowledge. A bunch of us are out there that've got stuff. So, find us out and ask us questions. Right. That sounds very good. I think never be shy of asking questions. I believe that's yeah. something that I believe it's quite uh, important that people feel shy about, but it's very important. And the curiosity to understand is actually what helps us be better, smarter, understanding the aspects that we have never thought of before. Absolutely, yeah. Let's just sign off by um, me asking you a very last question. Do you have any yep. recommended reading or listening for the audience that you really love Ooh. or enjoy? So I love so I mean from a resource standpoint, obviously I love, to me LinkedIn's great. I, I actually there's a really good community. Um, I love Peerlist. So Peerlist is another one that's out there. Um, join the community. There is some amazing wikis and stuff out there on that one. The other one that I absolutely love reading is uh, Randall Munro, who does XKCD, has written a number of books. And there's one book that in particular we inside all of our industry is called Thing Explainer. And it's understanding complex problems in a way that you explain it using basically the top 1,000 words in the industry, in our world. And to me, I love stuff like that. So I would go with Thing Explainer and some stuff like that. So yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Lovely to have you on the podcast episode today. We'll be signing off now. So that was Chris Roberts in today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. I'm your host, Monica Verma, and I'll be back with the exciting episodes fantastic guests and amazing conversations on all things cyber. Until then, take care. Thanks for tuning in to We Talk Cyber with Monica. Do not forget to subscribe to We Talk Cyber in your favorite podcast app and YouTube channel, Monica Talk Cyber. Take care and continue tuning in.